I'm David Blanton from Realtree. Each week, I'll be introducing you to a new chapter and adventure from the father of modern bow hunting. This episode of Fred Bear's Field Notes is brought to you by Bear Archery. An all-new member of the trusted Kuma family, the Kuma 30 delivers the same incredible flagship performance in a smaller and lighter package. Find out why the Kuma 30 is faster, smoother, and should be your next bow at beararchery.com. Bear Archery, walk among legends. Field Notes. Chapter 2, Yukon Territory, 1956, Part 1 There's a land where the mountains are nameless, and the rivers all run God knows where. There are lives that are erring and aimless, and deaths that just hang by a hair. There are hardships that nobody reckons. There are valleys unpeopled and still. There's a land, oh, it beckons and beckons, and I want to go back, and I will. Robert Service A picturesque country, this Yukon Territory, its western boundary hugging the Alaskan line, and the Northwest Territories pinching it so narrow that there is only a slight touch of the Arctic Ocean. Our hunting area was bounded on the east by the Whitehorse Skagway Railway, on the north by Alaskan Highway, by the Haynes Highway on the west, and by the British Columbia border on the south. West of this area, more than half the country is covered by the vast Hubbard Glaciers. From start to finish, our hunting field would be measured only 60 miles as the crow flies. By pack train, the distance was close to 150 miles, and the total miles we actually covered must have been at least 300. There were no inhabitants in the area of approximately 1,500 square miles. Several years before, a friend of mine had made this trip. He reported many moose and grizzlies, but we found them to be less plentiful. Buck, my horse, ate the red berries I stuck in my hat band, and together we had a great experience. Friday evening, August 24th, 1956. Sitting encamped at the takeoff point with rain pattering on the tent. Judd comes in this evening, and Alex will meet the plane in Champaign about 50 miles and arrive here about noon tomorrow. We will start the hunt Sunday. We're along the Haynes Highway, 93 miles from the seaport of Haynes, Alaska. 
The trip so far has been a bust. Tim Carr, the game commissioner of Yukon Territories, met us at the plane with the official Yukon welcome. We went to his office to obtain hunting licenses, have some refreshments, and a chat. A beautiful pair of doll sheep horns was lying on the floor. I examined them in admiration, and Tem told me that he had confiscated them. Took them from a hunter who had bought them from an Indian. He then told the story of large moose antlers he had confiscated also a few years ago. Same story, a hunter had bought them from an Indian. We apprehended the Indian as he had done an illegal act. We're about to put him in jail, but learned that he had 10 kids and 13 dogs that we would have to feed while he was serving time. So we reprimanded him severely, and that ended the issue. The antlers remained here in my office for several years. They were beautiful. One day, a Boone and Crockett scoring man came along. He measured them and we were amazed to learn that we had a first-place Alaskan Yukon record moose, all due to the straight shooting of one of our local people. There was great happiness, all of this glory for the Yukon. We had a fine rifle, properly engraved, held a banquet, and our guest, the Indian, was duly honored. I had arranged with our outfitter to arrive several days ahead so there would be time to do some fishing in Sockeye Lake. Alex had engaged Ron Holloway, a Cree Indian with a panel truck loaded with camping equipment, to take care of us. Tem suggested, instead of Sockeye Lake, he had a boat and motor and trailer, that he would take us to Aishahik Lake, where we would catch giant lake trout. Ron went with us. We made arrangements to have a plane pick us up three days later. We got there late in the afternoon, fished for two hours, caught nothing, and then a high wind came up, blew for three days, and we could not go out on the lake. Found a place to catch grayling by the hundreds on flies. We went out to the highway, flagged a truck taking gas to an army field, and had the army phone for a plane to pick us up Sunday, which was a day ahead of schedule. To make a long story short, Tem Carr left Sunday morning, thinking we would be picked up. Ron had brought a driver with him who took his car back to Whitehorse. So we had no car and the plane never came. We were isolated on a windswept, bleak, above timberline, dusty lakeshore. So windy it was almost impossible to cast a fly and no sun for pictures, a total loss. Ron finally walked out to the military road on Wednesday. After four hours, he got a ride to the Alaskan Highway, 45 miles. Got another ride to Champaign. Came back with a pickup and bailed us out. We stayed the night at Haines Junction, where the Haines Highway takes off from the Alaskan Highway, southwest to the Alaskan port of Haines. Alex Van Bieber had returned three days early from a very successful hunt and we met him that evening. A fine-looking fellow, alert and capable. Next morning, we went to the Kluxu Indian Village, where they catch and smoke salmon. The run was over, and the men were all out hunting. We came on out the Haines Highway to this camp from where we start our hunt. 
Yesterday, we went to Haynes looking for a creek with salmon in it to shoot with a bow and for pictures. We found one, but it was raining. Saw a bull moose along the highway. He ran into the bushes. I grunted, and he came back to within 50 feet of the car. But that was in Alaska. Further on in British Columbia, we saw a mother grizzly with two cubs on a gravel flat about 400 yards away. Mother was digging for something. We watched them for over a half hour from higher ground. Could not get to them because of a fast river. Besides, we were in B.C., and my license is for the Yukon. Again, it was raining and no pictures. Today, it looked like it might clear up, and this afternoon we went back to Alaska, to the Salmon River. It was not raining, but the light was poor. I shot a 30-pound salmon, and we took pictures. Judd will be here tomorrow. We will sort gear and take off Sunday morning. First camp is only four and a half hours. I hope for a change of luck. I feel that we will do well, as there seems to be plenty of game. Big bear tracks all over. One of our wranglers was chased by a bear while rounding up the horses one morning. It chased him down a steep bank, and he jumped on a horse for a fast getaway, only to find that the horse was hobbled. Fortunately, the bear gave up the chase. We will have 21 horses, a good cook who is with us now, two wranglers, and two guides. Sunday, August 26th. Just finished dinner here at Blanchard Camp. Rained all morning and then cleared. Got away from the highway at 11.30 a.m. Rode until 2 p.m. and stopped for tea and cold short ribs of moose. Got here at 5.30, made camp, and here we are. All gear wet, but we have a stove now and can dry out. Saw a great many bear tracks and sighted two bull moose and four cows. The country is quite open. We are just about at the timberline. Above this, nothing but willow and buckbrush, and above that, rocks. This is a mushroom paradise. Saw many big bolitas, some ten inches in diameter with white meat, one inch thick. Alex has a good outfit with unusually nice horses. The colts practically live in the house with their owners. During the stop for tea this afternoon, one of the pack horses walked into our circle and stopped, wanting his pack taken off. He was very disappointed when it was only tightened. When we reached camp, the pack horses nudged us with their heads, wanting their packs taken off. Finally, freed from their burdens, they rolled on the ground with relief. Camp is in the brush by a cluster of dead, isolated spruce trees. The cook tent is 14 by 16, our tent 9 by 12. The guides and the wrangler have a 9 by 12 also. Monday, August 27th. Judd and George, the Indian guide, went moose hunting. Alex, Don, and I went to look for goats and sheep near Blanchard Lake. We saw eight sheep but could not get close to them. Back in camp, 7 p.m. Daylight breaks here at 3.30 a.m. and the darkness comes about 8.30, but it is not entirely dark all night.
Judd saw two cow moose and several goats across the other mountain. We will go after them tomorrow. Tuesday, August 28th. Judd and George took bedding and went north after a moose. They planned to stay two days. We went across the mountain after goats, got up to where they were about 10 a.m., and tried to stalk one lone Billy after taking his picture. Fourteen more watched us from above. Wind crossed us up both on the Billy and on the group of fourteen. There were two nice Billies in this lot, too. We chased them all over the mountain, but had to concede this round to the goats. Back in camp around 7 p.m., moose hunters were unsuccessful. Wednesday, August 29th, in camp. It is 7 p.m. and we just had dinner. Dumplings, moose stew, peas, potatoes, lettuce, celery, soup, prunes, freshly baked cake and cookies. Judd and Alex have the spotting scope on a big bull moose across the next mountain. Judd plans to get him tomorrow. He stalked a bull today. Got very close, but the brush was too thick. We went after goats again, climbed the mountain all the way up, but did not find them. We had planned to move to the next camp tomorrow, but we'll stay now so that Judd can hunt the moose, and we'll go after goats later. Saw quite a few ptarmigan, hoary mammoths, those whistlers warn the goats of our presence, bald eagles, flickers, whiskey jacks, magpies, juncos, ravens, and several birds I do not know. The country has many parka squirrels. These are about the size of a small prairie dog and look like a young groundhog. Water is very good here runs down from the glaciers, as in B.C. Don has had a rough day. His saddle came off when he mounted this morning. A rock fell on his leg up on the mountain, and in coming back, his horse bogged down in the tundra and the willows, and they both got muddy. Thursday, August 30th. Had intended to move camp today, but Judd's moose was still on the mountain we decided to take a day off and help him. Our camp is in the valley, and the moose was on the mountain facing us. Willows, buckbrush, and alder higher than a man's head make it difficult for a hunter to make progress on foot. So we agreed on a set of signals as we watched the moose with a scope and two binoculars. Alex took Judd across the river and went on foot from there. It was 10 a.m. before he came out into an opening and motioned for instructions. We directed him with a towel flag stick for several hours, following the moose with glasses while he ambled over the territory, now stopping to feed, then standing still, seemingly looking at nothing, and even lying down once or twice. At 4 p.m., Judd was within 25 yards of him, but the brush was too thick to shoot. Then the wind changed suddenly, and the bull took off over the mountain. It was quite an exciting day. I had intended to wash my clothes, but found this far more exciting. Friday, August 31st, 8 p.m. Friday was not unlucky for me. I shot a grizzly today. We got packed up and off at 9.30 to move to the next camp. 
It was quite a chore to load so much gear on so many horses. The pack train is a fine sight, however, winding along through the mountains, fording streams, etc. Before we started, Judd and I did some practice shooting. We do this every day. Stop for tea at 1 p.m. Roast moose, ham, candy bars, and fresh donuts. Back on the horses again, we saw a black bear come over the mountain ahead and cross in front of us about half a mile away. We watched him for a while, and when we went over the knoll at the creek bottom, Judd and I decided that any bear that size was a trophy and we should go after him. All 21 horses stopped then, too, to watch the show. Judd went up over the knoll, and I went around the end on the double. When I saw the bear again, he was digging for a parka squirrel. There was a rock 25 yards from him offering cover, and I lost no time getting up to it, pausing to take a good look and plan my shot. I realized too late that the bulldog profile of the bear in front of me was that of a grizzly and not a black bear. Alex had decided to sit this one out, since he deemed it unnecessary to back his client for a black bear. My arrow went straight where I was looking, immediately behind the shoulder. The bear let out a growl, made two jumps toward me, and then turned out of sight over the knoll. When I got there, he was down, about 75 yards. Judd had the bear in his sight all the time. He said it came over the knoll, went down to the creek bottom, made two small circles, and folded up. It was a breathtaking show. Don says he has it all on film, and the rest of the party witnessed the whole thing from about one-fourth of a mile away. This was good, as we had not yet proved the bow to our guides and wranglers. It was not a big bear, but a grizzly, black, with silver tips on the head and shoulders. We took pictures in the rain and snow before skinning him out. Going on toward camp, a willow thicket with no wood, we spotted 14 goats, and Alex and Judd and I made a stalk. Got within 100 yards, but no closer. We found the cook tent out and the cook trying to get dinner with wet willow wood. Hudson Bay rum made the rounds in celebration of the kill. Raining and snowing off and on. Everything wet down. Saturday, September 1st, 7.30 a.m. Breakfast over. Horses being rounded up and dishes done. Still raining, but not too cold. Ed has great difficulty cooking. He stuffs pieces of paper into the draft hole to try to get a proper fire. The stove sits on uneven rocks, so pancakes are thick on one side. Yesterday, I gathered a sugar sack full of mushrooms and tied it on the back of my saddle. Traveling in the rain softened and spoiled them beyond use, however. A great disappointment to me. Packing up now, next camp is base camp where there will be a supply of wood. We'll have some drying out to do. Alex and I will make another try at the goats on the way. Goats won this round also. At base camp now, fine place. Alex has food stored on a high cache. 
Sunday, September 2nd, 7.45 p.m. Just finished a big dinner. Moose, rice, scalloped potatoes, soup, pie, cake, and stewed dried apricots. Alex shot a four-year-old ram today for camp meat. Moose meat getting low. We ran into about 25 ewes and kids with this small ram in a group. Mutton for a few days now. Ate the grizzly heart last night. Supposed to make strong men of us. Judd and George, the Indian, took off for a side camp this morning for moose. He'll be gone two or three days. Saw a red fox and a lynx today. Two bull moose yesterday. Getting my mountain legs now. Feeling fine. Big appetite. Shot seven arrows at a blue grouse, and then he flew away. Monday, September 3rd, 6 a.m. In the cook tent, waiting for breakfast. Had four hours of sunshine yesterday. It felt very good. There was a frost last night, and it is sunny and clear now. George says the frost will kill the berries, start the moose rut, and bring the bears out in the open looking for gophers and marmots. I have a sprig of bright red cranberries in my hat, and my horse, Buck, nips at them at every opportunity. There are some blueberries here and also some blackberries, some man-sized glaciers around, and snow on all the high places. When it rains below, it snows up high. Later, went down the valley today and stopped frequently to glass the mountains. Didn't see a thing all day except tarmacon. Sun was out all day and very warm. We had a lazy day, took a nap on the knoll and rode back to camp about 3.30 to make some camp pictures. Sun lasted only another hour, and then Judd and George came back from their hunt. They saw no moose, but did see three grizzlies. Judd wanted to tackle them with the bow, but George would have none of it. He had been mauled by them and was scared to death. Being his last day here, Judd took the Indian's rifle and shot the biggest one. Alex and George entertained us with bear stories this evening, have my fanny well broken into the saddle now. Thursday, September 4th, 6.30 p.m. Sitting under a tent fly, roasting a slab of sheep before a hot fire. I'm in a willow thicket by Devil's Hole Lake, about five miles from base camp. Hunted up this way. Saw a bear, but he saw us first and went off. We climbed up high on horses and ran into snow. When we got down, it was raining. Judd is at base camp, not hunting today. His plane comes in at this lake at noon tomorrow. Don, my photographer, is having trouble with ulcers and will fly with Judd to White House for some medicine and then come back. Had roast mountain sheep last night. It tastes like roast leg of the best lamb. This slab of ribs is beginning to smell good. We arrived at this camp with two pack horses, a small tent, sleeping bags, and plenty of grub. Really living high. Plenty of candy bars, cookies, and oranges. Alex forgot to bring dishes, cups, and silverware. 
He is now carving wooden spoons. Shot a parka squirrel today. Wednesday, September 5th, 6 a.m. Snow is coming down in the largest wet flakes I have ever seen. About an inch on the ground now. Rained all night. Those heavy tarp bags kept our sleeping bags dry, and we had a good, cozy sleep. Took some still pictures of our camp in the snow. Alex says he has seen two feet of snow here in August. Base camp is just below timberline. Plenty of good dry spruce for wood. Side camps like this are usually above timberline, and one has to scrounge for wood. Next side camp is Goat Canyon, where we expect to have good goat hunting. Sheep are not so high, mostly in the buckbrush. Grizzly and moose could be anywhere. A bad trip for pictures so far, with only one and a half days of sun. Had fair light for the shooting of the grizzly, but rain during close-ups afterward. Don says he got pictures of me shooting the bear and the bear going up over the hill. Oh, I forgot to mention the most important part of the notes from this morning. Those sheep ribs, wow! I ate nothing else except some canned pears. Breakfast is over now. Cornflakes, bacon, and eggs. Sitting under a fly on our bedroll, wondering what to do. Visibility zero. No plane today. 10 a.m. the same day. Just had tea and a snack. Very comfortable and warm, but the inactivity kills me. I would like to go back to base camp, but Alex says the snow on the willows will bog us down. Not me, with my nylon pants and jacket. It is still snowing and raining. Fog is about 100 feet up. No plane today. We expect Judd and George any time. I skinned the parka squirrel and have his hide on a drying board. 3 p.m. Had a nap after finishing the ribs. Judd and George came in about an hour ago. We are sitting around the fire. Rain has stopped and the sky seems to be clearing. George and I will go back to base camp and turn this one over to Judd and Alex. We'll be glad to be doing something. Thursday, September 6th, 4 p.m. George and I got back to camp last evening. Brought Judd's saddle horse and mare with cameras and sleeping bags packed on her. George led the saddle horse and I rode on Freddy. He's the best mount I have had yet. We'll do just about anything. Good thing, too, because when we passed our grazing horses across a small lake about two miles from camp, the mare made a break for them. Thanks to Freddy, I was able to head her off at the water's edge, or she would have swum the lake and put our cameras out of commission. Alex, Judd, and Don stayed at the wet willow camp in Devil's Hole Lake, hoping for a break in the weather in the plain. Rain off and on last night. No plane yet, and I doubt if one will come today. Can't hunt. Fog too low. Have been fixing up our tent since early morning. Washed all my dirty clothes, cleaned and dried cameras, greased my boots, and kept the fire going to dry my laundry. George says all this rain is good. Moose wash velvet off antlers and rut starts. Still feasting on the sheep. It is delicious. 
Killing time like this, waiting for the weather, is hard on me. Wastes too many days. I was surprised to hear Alex say that there are wild horses north of here. They live through 50 to 60 below winters. It is from these wild herds that he gets new blood for his saddle and pack horses. Between hunting seasons, Alex rents his horses, he has about 60, to prospectors and mining companies. He also takes out survey groups, using a dog team when the snow is too deep for horses. It is 6 p.m. now, and Ed is cooking something that smells good. He is 56 years old, divorced, and has three grown boys in Vancouver. Not the cleanest cook in the world, but things taste good, and he is good-natured. Alex's father was a Scotsman, and his mother an Indian. He is wise in the ways of the bush, and is slowly grasping the problems of the bow hunter, and appreciating the fact that it is a tough game. Across this narrow valley from camp are two mountain peaks with snow on them. Between them, a glacier-fed stream tumbles recklessly over many waterfalls on its way to the river below us. Whiskey jacks are stuffing themselves with kitchen scraps. Friday, September 7th, 7 a.m. Still raining. Stella, one of the horses, is high up on the mountain, across from us. We thought for a while she was a moose. Just finished breakfast. George is planning to take some food up to the boys at the other camp. Think I'll go with him. I wonder if I mentioned Tiger in my notes. He is a young husky, two years old. His father is a wolf. Alex brought him to camp to keep the grizzlies away. He never makes a sound. He wants to be friendly, but is held back by some ancestral instinct. As for me, I would like to have a grizzly come in. Last trip here, the cook saw two at night, and this is the spot where Joe was chased by one. We have been up and down this valley, though, and have seen no fresh bear signs. 9 a.m. We are waiting for Joe to bring the horses. Quite a life, that of a wrangler. Up at 4 a.m. and out shagging the horses. He never knows where they are. It's a rough and unpleasant task on a cold, frosty morning. They do not have a bad job, though, during the day. Nothing to do but sleep, read, and cut wood. Joe doesn't like to cut wood, doesn't like to do anything but work with his horses. He quit a two-dollar-an-hour job in a garage to wrangle this hunt for ten bucks a day. Ed reads most of the day. The place is well supplied with magazines, mostly men's magazines with snappy stories and pictures. George and Joe sleep in their wet-down tent, no air mattresses and thin sleeping bags. George washed his clothes three days ago, and they are still wet. Horses are here. I hope he has Freddy. 7 p.m. Went up to Devil's Hole Lake and found men in better spirits than I expected. Stayed about two hours and came back. Don came with us. He is cold and wet. Had not been back here for long before we saw the plane go in the lake and then come out. Alex came back, and we all had mail. 
two letters and a package containing softy pack life preservers from Mrs. B. Might need them if it doesn't stop raining. Eighteen days of rain so far. Don't know what the plans are for tomorrow. Depends on the weather, Alex always says when I ask him, so I won't ask him tonight. Saturday, September 8th, 8.15 p.m. Camping under the stars tonight on Kluhini River, just before entering Goat Canyon. Got here at dusk, made a fire, ate supper, and I'm now lying by the fire, writing by candlelight. Rained earlier today, but is clear now. Left camp at 8.30 this morning. Spent two hours chasing a pair of rams and got there late. The country is beginning to show color. Sunday, September 9th, 9 a.m. Nice frosty morning. Sun shining on the white top of Mount Neven. This is very close to British Columbia. We will hunt close along the edge. It looks like a good day. There are four goats in view from our camp. Had a good sleep in the open last night. Alex woke me up at midnight to see the northern lights. Monday, September 10th, 6.30 a.m. Too tired to write last night. We went up into Goat Canyon yesterday morning and started after some goats. Got some good pictures, but no trophies. Got back to the horses at 5 p.m., and it was dark when we reached camp in the spruce thicket. It is a beautiful day, not a cloud in the sky for the first time. Very hot going up the mountain. Ate many kinds of berries. Two kinds of cranberries, soap berries, raspberries, blackberries, etc. We are camped at Upper Hendon Lake. The B.C. stake is just 50 yards from camp. The trip was very rough going. Dense willow and alder thickets and piles of rocks. Instead of leading the horses, we often let them go ahead of us. Sometimes we held their tails going up steep places. Tuesday, September 11th, 6 p.m. Had a big meal last night. Fried sheep steak, onions, beans, bread and jam, fruit, and always tea. Had a good night's sleep. Spotted a billy from camp this morning. We went off after him, spending all day up high, but he was not for us. Two hundred yards was the closest we could get. Alex is cooking dinner. After dinner now, stuffed and riding by flashlight, swinging overhead. It is windy and cloudy all over. We hope for the best. Have a tarp stretched up over my bed in the event of rain. Wednesday, September 12th, 10 a.m. Perched on a moss-covered bench halfway up the mountain, three goats are bedded down across a small canyon from us. We can't move until they do. Hope they go the other way so we can cross the canyon and get closer to them. On the mountain across from us now, there are two more goats, and up the valley, three more. There does not seem to be much game in this big country, but it is a good place to hunt because it is open and what game there is can be seen. This country should be able to support much more game. We are looking down on the snaking Hendon River as it flows by, increasing in size as the many glacial streams carving canyons on their way down the mountains join it.
Yesterday we came upon a place where a rocky cliff had given way and came down like an avalanche. Rocks were ground to dust and alder groves buried. It was nature at work with her carving tools, reshaping the mountains. Someday this may be a mighty forested area, and someone may find the arrow I shot yesterday to scare some goats out of a canyon. I had my first brush with Devil's Club, a spiny shrub, this morning in an alder thicket. Bad stuff. Yesterday the plane dropped supplies for us without benefit of parachutes, just packaged them well and kicked them out. It was quite a job finding them, George said. I am not too sure of getting a goat. It is extremely difficult to get close enough, and rain has used up so much time. We will spend two more days here, and then we'll have to move on. I would regret not getting one of these monarchs of the peaks. Thursday, September 13th, 10 a.m., just 24 hours since I wrote last. We are sitting on the mountain near where I wrote yesterday. Alex and Don are cleaning a big billy goat on the ledge overlooking the canyon. My spirits were low yesterday when I wrote that I thought I was not sure of getting a goat here. Three hours later, I had one. When I wrote yesterday, we were within 500 yards of the goats as a crow flies, but much, much further on foot. There was a steep canyon between us, with a rushing glacial river tearing down the middle. The goats were bedded down where they could see us if we tried to cross. They finally got up and fed down into a depression, and we started out in all haste. As soon as we topped over, we saw goat horns above a ledge, and I started making my way toward him. The wind was right, the footing was right, and he didn't hear me until I made some progress. Then he got up and started off. I put an arrow through his ribs at about 20 yards. He was out of sight in seconds. Straining after him, trying to look under, over, and around the crags where he might be, I suddenly saw him get up not very far away. My arrow found its mark again, going straight through him, low behind the front shoulder, and he tumbled off the ledge. We could reach him only by being lowered with ropes, and since it was getting dark, we had to get off the mountain immediately. We had no choice but to leave him and get back to camp. This morning, armed with ropes, we went back to recover my trophy. Fortunately, he did not break his horns in the fall off the cliff. They were nine inches long. He was approximately a 200-pounder, a fine goat for a full mount. 2 p.m. Got back to camp at 1 p.m. with a goat. George had a stew waiting. He is now working on the hide, head, and feet of the goat. It is good to have at least part of the day to loaf and rest up. Goat hunting with a bow and arrow is really tough. I think this will wind up my hunting for these cliff dwellers. Have some pictures to make tomorrow morning when the sun is on the right side of the mountain. After lunch, we plan to start back to base camp. This episode of Fred Bear's Field Notes is brought to you by Bear Archery. 
Bear Archery's Divergent features $1,100 worth of performance, all for only $699. The Divergent offers 338 feet per second and an easy to shoot, short 28 inch axle to axle bow. A bow at this price should not be this good. Find out how the Divergent disrupts the price to performance ratio at beararchery.com. Bear Archery, walk among legends. Field Notes is produced by the team at Bear Archery and is hosted by David Blanton with Realtree. Theme song editing and sound mixing by Isaac Alling. Narrated by Alan Johnson. Directed and produced by Kyle Redman. Art and site design by Samantha Marksberry, Kennedy Rose, and Taylor Austin. Special thanks to Dave Parker, David Vogren, Jack Borcherding, Chris Parrish, and Tyler Musgrave. Our website is bayartree.com slash fieldnotes, where you can listen to all of our episodes, sign up for our updates and our newsletter, see articles, maps, photos, videos, and more. Again, that's bayartree.com slash fieldnotes.